This morning, we'll be in Psalm, uh, Psalm 3, so if you would like to open up with a pew, ba- pew Bible in front of you, uh, you can find that on page 448. Well, you make your way there, I will ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we again give you praise for your goodness for your love and your mercy. We thank you that you have brought us here to worship your son, Jesus Christ, and that we have the privilege to worship in in his presence. We pray that as as the word is preached, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel, that your word will sink deeply into our hearts and transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that these words would not be mine, but they would be yours, and that they would have power, as your word is powerful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 3, I'll read it to begin. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. A few questions for you as we begin. Um, have you ever felt like the world was against you? Like you had no friends or allies? Have you been so burdened by your circumstances that you felt like there was no place you could turn, that you could go and hide from your troubles? Everywhere you looked, something reminded you of the things that were weighing you down? Have you ever experienced a point in your life when the only things you can think about are the hard negative things in life and it seems like nothing you do is right or good enough? I'm confident that most of us have experienced despair in one way or another at some point. Maybe some of us are in the midst of that despair right now as we speak. I know for me personally that I have experienced despair in these ways. I've experienced times like these, and they are hard. They're not just hard on me, they're hard on my family, they're hard on the people around me. And I think we all know that. Brothers and sisters, if you can relate in any way to the feeling of despair or depression, then I pray that this psalm is a comfort to your soul and an encouragement, the encouragement that you need to see God for who He really is. Because it is a similar situation that we find David in as he writes this psalm. 
As the introduction of the song tells us, I didn't read that, but it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, Absalom was uh, his oldest son and um, had been exiled for some time. And then he was brought back by David after Joab pleaded with David to bring him back. And so he was brought back into Jerusalem and, and he was allowed to live even though his, he had sinned and, and killed his other brother. Um, David did not punish him. And after a time of being back in Jerusalem, Absalom decided that he was ready to be king and he wanted to overthrow his father's throne. And so he spent about four years hanging out outside the gates of Jerusalem talking to people as they came to the city to be heard, uh, to have their cases heard by David. And he would judge their cases and he would tell them that if David, if I was king, I would judge justly. I would be a better king. I would give you what you are looking for. I would rule in your favor if I was king. He spent four years telling everyone he could that his father was not just, that his father was a bad king, that they could not trust him. And after four years, the Bible says that the hearts of Absalom had turned the hearts of Israel against David. And so when, David, when Absalom went out to Hebron, as he said, to make an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for bringing him back to Jerusalem, he went out actually to, to amass his army and to get ready to come back to Jerusalem and, and kick David out. And David hears about this plan and is told that he needs to, to flee. And so he, he drops everything and, and he takes off. He leaves Jerusalem and he heads outside of the city and he runs away. And he leaves everything behind. And it's at this point when David writes this psalm. It's in that pit of despair that we have Psalm 3. And in, Psalm, in verse 1 and 2, we see this despair. And, and David give us a, gives us a really good glimpse of what that was like for him. He says, David says, the f- Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Imagine what that would be like to have everyone turn against you. It would be like walking into a class or into the office after the worst possible rumor had been spread about you. And all of a sudden, you are persona non grata. No one will look at you. No one will, will talk to you or give you the time of day. You are all alone. Even your trusted friends have turned against you. Imagine how defeated you would feel. And the idea of standing there in that room, surrounded by people who have turned their hearts against you. And the idea of facing them and standing up for yourself is so unbearable that you just, you have to leave, that you run away. That is what David did. He saw that Absalom had turned all of the hearts of Israel against him, and he fleed. He had no chance to fight and win, so he ran for his life. Can you imagine the despair that David was feeling in that moment? 
Maybe you don't have people in your life trying to take your life, but maybe you are feeling like the whole world has turned against you. Or maybe it's just a smaller, more significant group of people. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a child, a son or a daughter. Maybe it's your friend group at school who have all of a sudden just stopped talking to you. What would that be like for you? Have you experienced that type of alienation before? Alienation from your community, from your people. But his despair doesn't stop there. In verse 2, we see that it gets even worse. It was bad enough that David was all of a sudden at war with his own people, but the spiritual warfare he faced was even worse. In verse verse 2, David says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. What they're saying is that, David, your sin is too great. God does not love you. You, he He will not save you. This is happening because you deserve this. This is God's punishment on you. This is condemnation. You are unloved by God, is what they are telling David. If we were to read the, the section in 2 Samuel that uh, talks about this event, uh, it starts in chapter 15 and goes through chapter 18, we would we'd see that a member of Saul's household, the, the house from the, the clan of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, um, as David was fleeing the city of Jerusalem, he, he came out to the roadside and he heckled David as he, came, as he went by. And he told them that you are a man of blood and God will not save you. There is no salvation for you in God. And David says that his enemies were hurtling these, these taunts at him. And he was, and I, and I believe that David was taking these things to heart. Because these things are easy to take to heart when we are in the pit of despair. When we feel like the world is all against us, when we have no friends or allies standing beside us, it's very easy to believe these lies. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Isn't it true that when we are brought low, that that is when the devil really attacks He really sets his his claws in and makes us really question even the foundation of our faith. David believed his enemies because he knew that they were actually partially right. See, David was a man of blood. David had sinned greatly. And after he sinned with Bathsheba, the Lord even told him that your house would be against you, your ri- would rise up against you. Absalom was fulfilling a promise that God made to David. And so as David, in his despair and fleeing for his life, is hearing that there is no salvation for him and God, he believes it. But that's what the devil does, isn't it? He uses, a half, he uses half-truths. He tells us the partial truth. He doesn't tell us the whole truth. He doesn't use outright lies. 
He uses half-truths to bring us down and tempt us to lose faith in the Lord. He reminds us of how great our sin is and how undeserving we are of God's mercy and forgiveness. And he tells us either through others' condemnation or our own self-inflicted condemnation that we are unforgivable. Oh, the depths of despair he must have been in at this moment. Feeling like there was no salvation for him. Feeling like he had no hope. They had no friends. And that if he didn't run farther and faster away from Jerusalem, he soon would be dead. Brothers and sisters, are you able to identify with David? So then you know the great despair that David was feeling in this moment. Have you believed these lies that David has believed? Have you believed that there is no way God would forgive you for what you have done? And that all the bad things that happen to you are just proof of God's displeasure? Maybe no one has said these things to your face, but maybe people have communicated them to you in other ways by turning their backs on you, by rejecting your friendship. Maybe it is something that you tell yourself on a regular basis. I know that it is a lie that I have believed. And I know that it is truly the most bitter thing to believe that there is no help for me in God. But I am so thankful that the psalm doesn't end at verse 2. David keeps going because there is hope in the Lord. As we move on into verse 3, we see a change. This despair that David was exhibiting in verses 1 and 2 Begins is no longer there. Between verses 2 and 3, something's happened in David's heart. And I think it's plain to see that he has turned his attention away from, the, from his enemies and put his heart and his mind on the Lord and the promises of the Lord. And David says, but you, O Lord. These are amazing words. But you, O Lord. Throughout Scripture, you will see places where it says, but you, O Lord, or but God. And those are moments when God steps in into our muck and our mire and our filth and our despair. And he pulls us up and he restores us. And it's because it is God that does that. It's not David. So David says, but you, O Lord, You, O Lord, are the shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David goes from being overwhelmed by the number of his enemies and their terrorizing taunts to turning his focus on the truth of who God is and the true reality of the situation. I do not mean that that the threats of the enemies, that his despair was not real, that it was just an imagined thing. I'm not saying that at all. And I do not mean that our despair or depression is, is fake or imagined. 
No, despair is real. It's the, the result of the fall. But what I do mean is that the reality of God's grace and mercy are the truest reality. That God's grace and mercy, the promises God makes to his people, are greater than the despair that David felt in this moment. They're greater than the despair that you or I could ever feel. When David turns, his, turns back to his covenant Lord, he is reminded that he has nothing to fear because it is, it is God who is his shield, his glory, and the lifter of his head. He, David is reminded that God is God and his promises are never failing. David is reminded of all that God has done for him and all that God has promised him and that because of God's faithfulness, faithfulness excuse me, because of God's faithfulness, he has nothing to fear. The promises of God in David's eyes are greater than all of the threats of his enemies. And so he is able to turn away from his enemies and turn to God and say, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are in the pit of despair or teetering on the edge of it, and you feel like everyone and everything is against you, look to your covenant Lord and be reminded that it is He who has ordained your life from the beginning of time, from before time began. The promises that God made to Abraham, Moses, and David are the promises that He has made to you as well. David declares that God is His shield, His glory, and the lifter of His head. Because God has promised to be those things to him. And he has promised to be those things to you and to me as well. So let's take a look just quickly and see what these three titles that David uses for God, what their significance is, and what it is that David is declaring God to be. David uses the title shield. David was, God was David's shield in war and or in peace. The Lord protected David from those who sought to kill him. He protected him in the fields as a shepherd. He protected him in the battle against Goliath, and he protected him when Saul wanted to kill him. David knew God's protection, and when he was reminded of these things and these times that God had spared his life, his enemies were no longer scary to him. He was no, they were no longer, their numbers were no longer overwhelming to him because he was reminded of the Lord's faithfulness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, think about all the times in your life in which God has been a shield for you. The times when he has protected you from physical harm, emotional pain, or maybe even shame and embarrassment. I'm confident that we can all think back to specific points in our lives when God has protected us in one way or another. When we are in the pit of despair, we, like David, can look back on those times and with confidence declare in that moment that God is our shield. He's not just David's shield. He's your shield. He's my shield. 
Then David calls God his glory. This is, I think, an interesting title that David uses, but I also think it's probably the most profound. Think about it. What did David lose when he fled from Jerusalem to save his life? He lost his throne, his power, his significance. He lost his glory. David went from being the most important person in the lives of every Israelite at that moment, living at that time, to becoming the most hated person in Israel. He lost his glory. He became a fugitive on the run. Do you imagine the shame that David felt in that moment? The embarrassment? His own son had turned against him and had chased him out of Jerusalem. But what does he call God when he turns his face back to God? God, He calls him his glory. David knows that God is the giver of glory and that he has nothing without God's gracious blessings and provision. David, like Job, knows that it is the Lord that gives and it is the Lord that takes. David was the youngest of his brothers, the least significant in his father's house. Yet God chose him to be king over Israel. David knew he had no glory of his own, but only that which the Lord had bestowed upon him. You can't, we can't lose. David knew that he could not lose glory that was not his own, that he had not earned, that had been given to him by the Lord. And so he looks to God and says, you are my glory. And if you are in Christ then you, like David with confidence, can call God your glory as well. There's nothing that those who are in Christ need to be ashamed of, no matter how low you might feel. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because our shame has been taken care of and Christ has placed his glory on us. If by faith you are united to Christ, then you are a child of God, and He is your glory forever and always. When God is your glory, you do not boast in your own strength, but in the amazing grace of God that has, been made, that has made you His child by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what David is doing here. He's not boasting in his own strength. He's not looking to the things that he has done to prove his worthiness. He's looking to God and all that God has done for him in his life and saying, you are my glory. We boast not in our own works, but in the works of the one who has saved us. And then David calls God the lifter of his head. As I mentioned earlier, David had to be feeling pretty embarrassed as he fled Jerusalem. I can just imagine David leaving his palace and unable to look up, unable to look any of his closest friends in his eyes as they fled with him. I can see his shoulders hunched over, his eyes red from his tears, and his head permanently fixed on the ground in front of him. Do you see that? that? You know what that looks like. You know what that feels like. The weight of pain and despair you can't, look, you can't lift your head. You can't look people in the eye. 
You walk barely lifting your feet off the ground. You're, you're tired. You're worn out. You're ashamed. You're beaten down. That's how I think, that's what I see David as, as he's fleeing Jerusalem. But when David calls God the lifter of his head, all of that changes. He is able to stand up straight, look his people in their eyes, and declare with confidence and assurance that God will save them. I personally, I love this title uh, that David uses, the lifter of my head, because it reminds me that God deals with us gently, as a father deals gently with his children. When David calls God the lifter of his head, the image is of a father reaching down to his little child whose head is hung in shame and placing his hand under his child's chin and lifting it up until his eyes meet his child's eyes. And then the father gently looks in his, in his child's eye, it looks his, eye, his child in the eye and tells him that everything is going to be okay because I love you and I'm not going anywhere no matter what. If you are in Christ, God is the lifter of your head. And he says to you throughout all of Scripture, there is nothing you can do that would make me love you any less or any more than I already do. You are my child, and I have given my all to make you my own. No matter what anyone else might say, You are mine, and I am yours. That is what David means when he calls God the lifter of his head. God is gentle and kind and patient to those whom he loves. And when we are low and hurting, he does not beat us down, but he lifts our head so that we can see him face to face And he reminds us of who he is and who we are in him. And that is how David can turn away from his enemies. And in verse verse 4, verse 5, lay down and sleep. We see in verse verse 5, David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David, his assurance is in the Lord and no longer fears his enemies. It's not just a matter of not having any fear. He's at peace. He can rest. He can sleep in the midst of his danger. He's surrounded by those who want to kill him. If we were to read... Second Samuel, we would find out that Absalom had an army of 20,000 people who had gone out to fight against David. David had 600 people with him. He was surrounded, and yet he slept a peaceful rest because of his confidence in the Lord and the Lord's promises to him. He says it is God who sustains him. He no longer fears the enemies. He's able to say, these, to say this. He's able to, to sleep. He's able to, to not fear his enemies because 
of who God is, his shield about him, his glory, and the lifter of his head. In this renewed confidence in verse 7, we see that David actually then calls God to action with a battle cry. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. David is calling God to war on his behalf because he knows that it is God who will redeem him from his enemies and is God who will restore him to his rightful place as king of Israel. And he knows these things Again, because it is what God has promised to him. God has promised him all these things. So really, David is just calling on God to do what God said he would already do. He's, he's got, David is calling on God to keep his promises. And his confidence is not in anything but God's promises and God's faithfulness to keep them. In verse 8, David ends the psalm with the greatest promise and truth, I think, of this psalm. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And boy, does it ever. David's peace and confidence are not in his own strength or merit, but in the one who owns salvation, the one who gives salvation freely. David is looking to the promised salvation that he knows is yet to come. And he's not afraid that he might not receive it because the Lord has already promised it to him. Brothers and sisters, that same salvation is the salvation that was, brought, that was bought for you and me by Jesus' blood on the cross. As David and the people of Israel looked forward to that redemption that was promised, we today are able to look back with the same faith as David and see that redemption accomplished it was accomplished on the cross. And the proof of it is it's found in the empty tomb. The answer to David's despair is faith in the one who bought salvation with his own blood. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he is free to give it to whomever he pleases. And David's confidence is in that the Lord has promised the salvation to him. So what now? As Pastor Terrence likes to ask in his life group questions, what now? What does this have to do with you and me? We've talked about some of the things that it has to do with me, but it's hard to kind of compare ourselves to David because David was somewhat of a special case, wasn't he? David was God's anointed. And we might, it might be easy to say, well then, of course God would save David. He was his anointed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case for me. And I would say to you, our hope is not, uh, in, in Psalm 3, our hope is not that the psalm is about David, but that this psalm is actually about God. We have hope, we find hope in the words of David because even though we are not God's anointed like David was God's anointed, we are God's children like David was God's child. And we find in Psalm 3 that it was not David that did these things, but it was God who did all of these things. God brings David out of his des desperation. God promises David deliverance. God keeps his promises to David in his immediate deliverance 
and the deliverance that was yet to come. Christ is David's future deliverance. And we, like David, are in need of this same Savior. Brothers and sisters, like David, we know what it means to be under attack. Like David, we can and must find our hope and strength in the covenant faithfulness of our Lord in Christ. Christ is our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. When we look to the promises of God that God made to David, we see that Christ is the fulfillment of these promises. Christ is the promised greater king of Israel. Christ is David's offspring whose throne is established for all of eternity. Christ did what David could not do. Instead of being delivered from persecution, Christ was delivered up to persecution by his heavenly Father in order that the promises he made to his people, to David, to you, and to me throughout history would be fulfilled. Christ suffered and cried out to God, but God did not answer him. In fact, God turned his back on Christ while he was on the cross. Where David had to leave Jerusalem to save his life, Christ was led out on that same road to his crucifixion to give up his life. But our hope does not end with the cross. Christ has also risen up. He was raised from the dead and now is seated on the throne of David as the true king, true and perfect king. From his throne, he is able to hear our cries. For help. He hears our cries for help in our times of trouble and, deliver, and he delivers us from our enemies. Our hope is not that David was the king that we all look for. That it, our hope is not that he delivered himself and his people from their enemies, but that Jesus Christ who came and lived the life that neither David or anyone else could live is the king David could never be. He is the one true king seated on the throne of all eternity. Jesus has done for us and for David what David could not do for himself or anyone else. Christ is our deliverer. He delivers us from every trial and every sin. So we, like David, even in the midst of our trials, in the midst of sin, can boldly call Christ to action with the assurance that he has already and will continue to act on our behalf because he is our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our head. This is the hope of David in Psalm 3. And this is your hope if you are united to Christ by faith. But if you are here this morning and you are not united to Christ, meaning you have not put your faith in him as your Savior, then this hope does not belong to you. You might think it does. You might think you are a pretty good person. You might think that God owes you salvation because you have done good things. You haven't done anything really bad. You definitely haven't done anything as bad as David ever did. And so God owes you something. But not even David, who was God's anointed, could make that claim. Or you might think like David's enemies wanted him to think. 
that your sin is too great or too numerous for God to love you. You might think that there is no way God would allow his son to die for someone like you. But I tell you, Christ died for David. And he died for you. All you have to, have to do is believe. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus calls to you and he says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, lean and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are feeling the weight of your sin and the hopelessness of trying to earn your salvation through being a good person, then turn to Christ. Put your faith in him and you will find rest for your soul. The same rest, the same sustained rest that David found in the midst of his enemies. That is the promise of God. He is your glory your shield, the lifter of your head. Turn to Christ and be restored. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for Jesus, who is the great King of Israel, who could do, who has done for us what no one else could do. He gave his life that we might receive salvation. Lord, I pray that in the midst of despair that you would reveal yourself to your people as a father lifts up the head of his child, that you would cause us to see you for who you truly are, that we would know by faith that we are loved by the creator of the universe and that we would find hope and confidence in all that you have done for us and all that you have promised for us to come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.